0: Hi everyone, I'm Tara Montt and you're listening to the Trust and Thrive with Tara Montt podcast. I created this podcast along with my blog and brand to hopefully inspire others to live their most authentic life. I truly believe that we all have the power to live a life we love, and to do so, it's so important to be in tune with ourselves and be open to growing and evolving. I believe that once we can trust ourselves and our vision, that's when we can thrive. So with this podcast, I plan to discuss all things to do with self-reflection, personal growth, mindsets, and self-belief, all aspects that affect us in our everyday life. If you feel connected to my message and want to listen more often, I will be sharing one podcast a week, so make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. Hello everyone, welcome back to Trust and Thrive with Tara Mont. I hope you've been enjoying the show. If you're new here, welcome. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode if you've given it a listen already. That's episode 40, How to Stop Self-Sabotage with Dr. Judy Ho, who is a clinical and forensic psychologist and author. In that episode, we talked a lot about self-sabotage, the underlying drivers behind it and why so many people struggle to reach their goals the stories we tell ourselves and how we may convince ourselves that this is just who we are or this is the kind of relationship i deserve the type of job i deserve so it was such a great episode and dr judy ho talked about her book stop self-sabotage six steps to unlock your true motivation harness your willpower and get out of your own way and i included the links to her book and website and instagram all in the description of that episode. So if you'd like to listen and follow Dr. Judy Ho, you can by visiting the description for that specific episode. So right now I'm actually in New York. I'm staying at my brother's apartment while he's traveling. He was so generous to let me and my cousin stay for a bit so I've just been working from here and right now it's actually really funny his neighbor is blasting the new Taylor Swift album (laughs) so I don't know if you can hear it in the background hopefully you can't but I'm trying to record over it because (laughs) I have to get this done so (laughs) it's kind of just funny to me it's been a fun trip I'm kind of just trying to get work done have a good time and save some money too because New York is just kind of really expensive for like two weeks and so thankfully my brother's kitchen, went grocery shopping, trying to do all of that. So it's been a fun few days. I'm here for another two weeks almost. And so I'm going to be teaching from here next week and working. It's such a gorgeous day today. I just love New York. It's a place I'd totally imagine myself moving to at least for like a few years. But with that said, I'm just happy to be here. It's so, it's so weird to like record in a different setting, especially like the intro and outro. I obviously recorded this interview in LA, But just like being in a different setting is really nice i think if i could do that more often if i have a quiet space to record i'd like to do that because you don't realize how much it affects you from just being in a different environment and how much that helps with that said i was very excited about this interview and just editing it too it honestly felt like therapy to me (laughs) well let me talk about our next guest so her name is elizabeth earnshaw Elizabeth is a licensed marriage and certified Gottman Method couples therapist. She is passionate about helping individuals and couples learn how to have better relationships with themselves and other people. She believes that deep healing can happen in the context of safe relationships. Elizabeth has a husband, toddler, and a dog named Nola that she adores. So I really love this episode because... We talked about so many different parts of relationships, and that ranges from power struggles in a relationship, communication pitfalls, codependency and anatomy, and so much more. So, like I said, I really enjoyed this. I learned so much because I'm in my first relationship right now, my first long term relationship. And, you know, there are many things that you don't learn growing up or you don't see in your parents' dynamic or people around you. And there are some patterns you want to take away and some that you don't. So it's really interesting to talk to Elizabeth about different dynamics. And obviously every relationship is so different and everyone has such a different definition of a healthy and unhealthy relationship. But there are certain things that overall help make a healthy relationship. So I'd rather just get right into the episode instead of going into more detail because there's so much to share and... I don't wanna give it all away, but if you would like to hear what I took away from this episode and kind of my favorite parts of it, then you can stay tuned until the end of the episode where I will share all my takeaways. And you can connect with Elizabeth follow her and get more insight through her instagram and all those links will be in the description of the episode so i hope you enjoy this one this is such a great relationship episode i feel like i want to do more on relationships because at the end of the day everything is a relationship whether it's a relationship with yourself or with others and this isn't just about romantic relationships so i'm sure everyone can take something away from this even if you aren't in a relationship there's so much great insight in this so i hope you're able to take something away i hope this can help you self-reflect and be a little more aware of Maybe your dynamic with someone else in your life, and just kind of what relationship you want and how you want to communicate in your own relationship. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and let's get right into it with Elizabeth Earnshaw. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Of course. So, do you mind starting off telling listeners a little more about yourself and what it is that you do?
1: Sure. Um so I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I practice in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um and I'm also a certified Gottman therapist. And so a lot of my work is with couples, but I also work with individuals who struggle with relationship issues, want to learn how to be better in relationships, or who are, you know, grieving the end of a relationship. I also have an Instagram account that I run, which is at Liz Listens, and I host different webinars and trainings for people um, through the internet.
0: So interesting. So when did you become passionate about relationships? Did this come from personal experience or you just always had an interest in relationships and marriage and family?
1: I have always had an interest in relationships since I can remember. I was constantly playing with dolls and having them fall in love with each other and making them have babies and all sorts of stuff and I remember when I was little I always knew that I wanted to do something that um, had to do with helping people. And so I went through all sorts of ideas of how I would do that. I was going to be a teacher. I wanted to do international aid work. I never ever thought of being a therapist though. That actually came to me completely randomly. I had finished school um, in education and I was driving down a highway and I saw a billboard for a couples therapy program and for some reason, it finally sparked something in me where I was like, oh, that's what I need to do. And since then, I have totally found my passion. I can't imagine myself doing anything else.
0: So I'm curious as to your upbringing, was your family very open about communication? Is that why you were really interested in therapy and maybe discussing those thoughts? Or did this just come from a personal interest in it?
1: Yeah, no, my, <laughs> my family is not open in communication at all, which Sometimes I think we're drawn towards the things that we didn't necessarily have when we were growing up. My family was the type of family that if there were difficult things going on for family members or friends, they were whispering about it in the other room and we often wouldn't know about it. And so I I think that in my life, I was really drawn towards figuring out, like, how can we become more transparent with each other? Because a lot of people might relate to this, when you're kept out of information, it makes you feel really uncomfortable in the relationship. And it, it stops you from truly connecting with people. And so I did not have that type of openness in my family growing up. And I think that's really what taught me how important it is to try to find ways to find that. Um, and to to nurture that in our relationships with our partners and our children and our our parents because without it there really isn't true connection
0: Mm -hmm. and I think with that it could go either way so I think a lot of people they continue that pattern if that's what they see in their families and their parents relationship they think that's normal maybe so how are you able to realize that maybe this isn't the healthiest way to communicate and I want to make a change and work on this when did you realize that
1: That's a really good question. I think that a little bit of it comes from my mom, who is a very nurturing person. And I think I saw that she did try to connect in her own way. I think the other part of it comes from how lucky I am to be a therapist. And so I was drawn to this field, probably very subconsciously, didn't really know what I wanted from it. But through learning about the importance of transparency and authenticity in relationships and communicating clearly, I was able to see how much of that I didn't have when I was growing up. And so, if I hadn't gone through that experience, I might have repeated the exact same um, pattern of my parents. And I, I think I would have because. Prior to becoming a therapist, I was somebody that didn't share a lot of information, didn't ask people a lot of questions, and I would become uncomfortable during challenging conversations. So the the experience of being a therapist has really granted me the greatest blessing of of learning how to be an open communicator and how to be curious about other people as well.
0: And so I think Everyone has such different, obviously, standards and expectations in a relationship. And so, I mean, for me, at least growing up, you realize healthy communication and healthy relationship means something different to everyone, but there usually are certain factors that would qualify as healthy communication. So I'm curious as to what you would define healthy communication in a partnership as.
1: Yeah. And I love that you said that it can look different for everyone because I think sometimes people think that there just must be this 10 step guide somewhere that they can follow. And if they follow it, everything's going to fall into place and they're going to do it exactly right. And that's not true. There are so many different ways to have a relationship. There are so many different dynamics that are healthy and are, are OK. And there there's also times where it is OK to argue and to fight and to do all of those things that I think we feel um, concerned that they're, they're unhealthy. However, there are certain things that we know create healthy connection and nurture good communication in a relationship. And there are certain things that really dissolve it. And so I call them either like evolving communication skills because they evolve your relationship forward or dissolving communication skills because they really dissolve your relationship. And when we think about those two types of skills, We, you know, one thing that we consider is the Four Horsemen. I'm not sure if you're, do you you know about the Four Horsemen? No. Do
0: you mind explaining more?
1: Yeah, sure. John Gottman is a relationship researcher, and he has researched thousands of couples over decades. And so there is a ton of data behind this. And what he's found is that there are differences between couples that are the masters in relationships and couples who he calls disasters in relationships. And he found that people that are the masters in relationships avoid four communication pitfalls and people that are the disasters in relationships use them frequently and never intervene and change them. And so those four things are being critical of your partner. And so being critical means that you um, take whatever issue you see in the relationship and you apply it to a flaw within them. So it is saying, you know, our house is messy and I'm exhausted by that. And I think it's your fault because you're kind of lazy. The other communication pitfall that couples fall into is defensiveness. And defensiveness and criticism are paired, as I'm sure you can imagine. So someone's criticized and the other person immediately becomes defensive. And that might look like just responding with another criticism. So it ping pongs back and forth. It might look like um, becoming a victim. So saying something like, you're always just so mean to me. It might look like saying something like, you're right, but, and then um, giving reasons for why you're not helping with cleaning the house or whatever it is. And so defensiveness can be really harmful in a relationship because it maintains this criticism defensiveness cycle. The third communication pitfall is stonewalling and stonewalling happens when there is a difficult conversation happening and one person begins to feel what we call physiologically flooded. And this means that it makes them feel so uncomfortable that their heart rate actually raises and it raises to 100 beats per minute or above. And when that happens, our brains actually kind of shut off to having rational conversation. And so when people become flooded to their partner, they look like a stone wall, they look like they don't care, they look like they're withdrawn, and it can really frustrate the partner. And for them, they feel like they're unable to access their words and communicate. And so they might kind of cross their arms across their body, or glaze over or even leave the room. And the fourth and the most damaging communication pitfall is contempt. And contempt is when you are criticizing the other person in a supercharged kind of way. And what I mean by that is that it's not just um, criticism that happens on almost an equal playing field, it is criticism that happens from a one-up position. And so when you say the critical comment, you're saying it from a place of superiority. And this communication pitfall is actually um, correlated with divorce. So when people don't fix contempt in their relationship, there's a really, really high likelihood that the relationship will end or that it'll continue to devolve in such a way that the relationship no longer really has chances for intimacy. So it's really important to change this. Contempt looks like sarcasm or eye-rolling or belittling the other person, especially when they're in a vulnerable moment. And it's incredibly damaging to the relationship, and at times it can also be fairly emotionally abusive. So those four things, you know, when you asked is there something that – are there certain behaviors that are healthy for healthy communication and are there some that are unhealthy – those four are really the most unhealthy things and they really block positive um, enhancing communication.
0: Thank you so much for going into detail because I you know I've noticed those patterns and I've seen that before in my own life and people I know I just never looked at it in that way so thank you so much you No, know, I really appreciated that So say with your clients how do you approach a situation where maybe two people have different pitfalls or how do you help them notice what theirs are? Because I think when you're in the relationship, sometimes you assume you're right or you assume your way is the right way, or you may know you're doing something wrong, but you don't know how to communicate it in that way. How do you approach that?
1: Yeah. And so, and I think that you're really touching on something that's really important, which is it's all about a power struggle, right? So you said when you're having these types of conversations, you're assuming your way is the right way. So all these pitfalls are really based in um, relationship power struggles. And so part of that, number one, is pointing out to the couple that they're in a power struggle and that as long as they stay in the power struggle, it's, it's as if they're pushing against a solid wall nothing's going to shift, nothing's going to change. And so if they're willing to kind of stop pushing against that wall and put their hands down and relax a little bit and take some time to actually listen to each other, they can shift out of that power struggle. The other part of it is often just pointing out that they're doing these things because we all do them. I think that's really important for the couples I work with to hear. I think that's important for your listeners to hear is that there is nobody out there that's in a relationship that's never been critical, that's never been defensive, that's never gotten overwhelmed and shut down. So we all do these things. There's no shame in it. And so I often just point it out. I'll say something like, "Hey, do you think you're feeling a little bit defensive right now? What's going on for you? Tell me what made you feel so defensive. Were you feeling criticized? Or for the person who's feeling critical, or for the person who's being critical, I might say something like, "Hey." I think you have something important to say underneath that criticism. Let me help you say it in a more gentle way. And so a lot of times the things that people are trying to say when they're being critical or when they're being defensive are actually really important. They're just not saying it in a way that the other person is going to be able to respond to them. And they're losing their listener by doing that. And so when I'm working with them, a lot of what I'm helping them to do is maintain their listener so that they can get their point across so the other person can hear what's been hard for them. And so that instead of having cyclical arguments that never get anywhere, they can actually move forward.
0: Wow, that makes so much sense. Because I think so often people shut off or shut down if they feel like they're being attacked, or it's not coming off in the right way. So that definitely makes sense. So when it comes to power struggles, though, what is the root? For power struggles, usually, I know it varies obviously for each person. But do you have you noticed a pattern that maybe comes from childhood or their family dynamic, or say they want to be more critical or they want to have more of a voice in the relationship? Could that come from the fact that maybe they didn't get to talk as much when they were younger and their parents would shut them down? Whatever that is, have you noticed a pattern in that way?
1: Yes, all of those things um, are absolutely a part of power struggles. Not always, right? Because we can have unique situations. But many times people get into power struggles based off of their own childhood histories. And I call them, the way power struggles start is either because someone has a continuation dream, which means that they want to continue doing something the way they've been doing it or the way it was done in their childhood. And the other person doesn't want to do it that way. Or they have a discontinuation dream, which is the opposite. So something happened for them or didn't happen for them in their childhood, and they don't want to continue that, and the other person is continuing that. And that can look like different things. That might just look like some sort of emotional experience they had as a child. So one common example is that in this power struggle, someone is really trying to talk about their feelings. And they're trying to get the other person to emotionally connect with them. And that could be because it's something they had in childhood. So it's a continuation dream. Or it's something they did not have, but they wanted. So they're trying to change something. They're trying to discontinue a pattern that wasn't helpful. And what happens is if the other person isn't there, they don't want to talk about emotions. They don't feel comfortable with emotions. So they're more distant. They will get into a power struggle. And I think it's important to remember that that other person is also experiencing their own continuation or discontinuation dream too, right? So the other person might have experienced a family that was very explosive with their emotions. And so they don't want to get anywhere near them. They're discontinuing that pattern or they might have experienced a family that was limited in the way that they responded emotionally and they're continuing that pattern and so that's just one example of how that discontinuation, continuation, power struggle happens. It can also happen over um, topics. So, where should we send our kids to school? Where do where we take vacations? How do we spend money? People get very gridlocked and into power struggles because they either want to do things and they dream to do things a certain way because it was done that way for them and they liked it, or they want to prevent it because. It wasn't done that way or it was done in a way that was harmful to them and they didn't like it at all and they're trying to be different.
0: That makes so much sense. So if you have a partner who maybe has a very different communication style than you, how do you approach them without them maybe becoming defensive or saying that like your weight was the right way? How do you approach that if, if it's out of therapy, for example?
1: With something called a gentle startup. So a lot of times when we're frustrated with our partner, we approach them with that frustration. And sometimes we approach them in a way where we lose them before the conversation even starts. So an example of that is, let's say I use your example, which is we're frustrated because we don't have the same communication styles and I really need my partner to speak to me um, about emotions. And so I go up to my partner and if I use a harsh startup, I might say something like, I can't, I can't stand this anymore. We really need to get it together. And the response is then going to be, what do you mean we need to get it together? So we're already eliciting defensiveness from the Mm -hmm. other person, right? And once that happens, the conversation's over. Within the first three minutes of a conversation, um, therapists can predict where it's going to go. And so you can also predict where it's going to go. If you start it critically, And the other person responds with defensiveness, it's actually better to just say, hey, I don't think I started this conversation very well. I'll come back to it later because it's probably not going to go in a great direction. So if you want to start the conversation in a way where the other person's less likely to be defensive, you can use a template called Gentle Startup. And what that looks like is going up to the person and saying, I've noticed blank. So you're speaking your own experience. I've noticed that when I try to talk about my feelings, we have a really tough time getting there. Then you're going to talk about how you feel. So it makes me feel really frustrated. And then you're going to say what you need. And a really important part of talking about what you need is that you express your needs as positive needs. What that means is that you explain what you do want instead of what you don't want. So a lot of times we'll say, what I need is for you not to shut me down anymore. So I'm back into defensiveness, where they're going to talk about that one time 10 years ago where they didn't shut you down, just to prove their point. Instead, you want to say, what I really need from you is when I'm struggling, if you could just sit there and listen to me and ask me questions and be curious, that would make me feel so good. When you bring something up to someone in that way, they're much more likely to have their defenses, their defenses down. And they're more likely to be open to actually hearing that request because there's nothing there you said that they've done wrong. You're just explaining to them what helps you to be a happier, more content person. And, and people usually respond well to that. Not always, of course. And we can't control how other people respond. So if you if you speak gently and the other person is still defensive or they become aggressive. It's really important to kind of look at that and consider what that means. But in a mostly healthy relationship, you should be able to use gentle startup and get the other person to be responsive to you. Mm
0: -hmm. And do you believe in using like I language way more often? Like I feel this way as opposed to you did this, you did that.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And I really like to talk about one caveat of that, because I think people mess up I statements a lot. It's used as to why they don't work. Um, and so something really important to remember about I statements is just because you add the word I to a criticism doesn't stop it from being a criticism. So an example of that is that people often say things like, I feel like you're being a jerk. And that is not an I statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's really, it's really common for people to say, I feel, and then to say a thought or an opinion instead of a feeling. So when you're using I statements, you want to make sure that you're saying, I feel, and then it's followed by a feeling. So I feel sad. I feel, I feel frustrated. I feel angry right now. Not, I feel like, I feel like you don't love me, or I feel like you're being really lazy um and if you want to talk about something that the other person's been doing it's actually better to say something like i've noticed that our house is really messy and that i've asked you to help with it several times and it doesn't seem like it's happening what's going on there so saying i've noticed and then talking about what you've noticed instead of saying i feel like you don't care about our house does that make
0: sense yeah <laughs> it's a huge difference for sure it's so easy to start off a comment saying I feel like you're being annoying or I feel this. And at the end of the day, that still seems like it's attacking the other person.
1: And it's not really your feeling. It's an opinion about the other person. Just remembering, like, how can I start to be more authentic with the way I'm talking about how I feel and what I'm thinking instead of describing my partner and their flaws and what they're thinking, and what they're feeling. I need to get good at describing myself. Mm-hmm, definitely.
0: And so I think when it comes to also approaching a situation or some conflict, a lot of people have very different ways that they want to approach it. So for example, even in my own relationship, sometimes I just want to discuss it right then and there and I want to work through it and talk about it. And maybe my partner, he wants to take time to reflect and he knows that it might escalate in this moment. So how do you work through that? Do you have to find a balance or do you have to respect the other person's boundary how do you deal with that if you have different times and ways you want to deal with it? Are you
1: sure you're not describing me and my husband? <laughs> uh, that's exactly always our issue is I'm like, let's talk about our feelings right now. It's 11 p.m. and I need to go. To bed. <laughs> it is a complex dance to be in a relationship. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. I would be lying if I said that there is a perfect solution to differences in the way that people um, want to communicate about their feelings. It's really common for somebody who wants to talk about their emotions and deal with things right now to be in a partnership with someone who likes to think about it. That's a really common dynamic. And so it can be challenging. It can lead into a power struggle like we talked about before. But what can really help is number one, to talk during a calm moment about how the two of you in your relationship want to deal with issues? What is your agreement? And so you don't have to decide that when you're actually in the conflict. You might decide as a couple, we will, you know, if big things come up in this relationship, let's give each other space and we'll come back to it. Or if big things come up in this relationship, I promise that I'll talk about it with you for at least 30 minutes and then will decide at that point whether or not it's the right time to do it. So that's one suggestion is that if you find that during those challenging moments you are getting into power struggles and you don't know what to do, find a time to talk about what you'd like your plan to be for the future. Another suggestion and a really important thing to remember is that you cannot have a good conversation if you're physiologically flooded. So as I mentioned before, if the person has a heightened heart rate, if, they, if, if their body is releasing stress hormones and stress chemicals, they are not going to be able to talk to you in a productive way. So when somebody says, I really need to take space, it's really important that you consider Maybe this is because this conversation won't go anywhere that's very effective anyway. And am I willing to offer the space? On the other hand, that person needs to be trustworthy. And there needs to be an agreement that if they take the space, they are going to be the one that re-engages in the conversation. And that they agree to not let it go any longer than X number of hours or days or whatever. But there needs to be a very clear agreement where they say, I can't speak about this right now. I would love to be able to think about it overnight. It's not a good time for me at 2 a.m. to to talk about all of our feelings. I promise that tomorrow, as soon as I get home from work, I'm going to make us both a cup of coffee and we'll sit down and talk about this. So. Being in a relationship means tending to each person's needs. And sometimes that means compromise. Sometimes it means that you don't get your need met right in that moment. But you do need to tend to both people. You want a relationship where you both win. And so the more anxious person can be tending to the person who's a little more disengaged by giving them the space to calm down and soothe themselves and think. And the person who needs that space needs to tend to the other person's anxiety and they can do that by letting them know that they promise they're going to return to the conversation that they're really going to think about it and then following through on that the next day or a couple hours later or whatever.
0: I'm so glad you brought up the importance of talking about just how you want to approach it in general because I think a lot of people want to deal with it in that moment and they decide okay we're going to talk about it or not But when things are so heated, it can just, you know, it can turn into a whole other issue. So I think that's so important to even say maybe every week or two weeks we'll sit down and we'll talk about these issues or what bothers us in a formal way. So do you mind going a little more into detail into the idea of the me approach and the we approach and what's the difference between those two?
1: Yeah, so the me approach is when you are responding to the relationship from a place of self-protection only. So when things happen in a relationship, you kind of go back into yourself and you forget that this other person is a human being alongside you. And all of your responses have to do with getting your own needs met, protecting yourself, um, preventing vulnerability. The we approach is when you're able to look at your relationship as a team effort, and you make decisions in moments of peace and moments of conflict, whenever, that help to evolve and move the relationship forward. And so you're constantly thinking, what's good for us? And an important reminder is, you still are included in that us, right? Because if you don't consider what's good for yourself and keep yourself healthy, The us can't be very healthy. So you really want to consider how can we have conversations that are about us and that help move us forward and that respect both of our needs instead of getting into power struggles where we want to win and we're going to allow the other person to lose and um, we, we forget to consider that there might be options that meet in the middle and that are more nuanced. Another really important part of the we approach Is that when you make decisions, not all decisions, but really important decisions, that you actually use the word we? And that helps other people on the outside to know that you are a united front and that there isn't one person who is the bad guy or calling the shots or whatever it is, but that you're both making decisions. And this shows up a lot when you think about like in laws. So, you know, my husband wouldn't want to say something like, well, Liz decided we're not going to go on that beach trip with you. It's really important that he would say to his parents something like, we've decided that the beach trip this year isn't going to work for us. And so you're really thinking about yourselves as a team and you're moving forward as a team together.
0: So when you're in a relationship and you basically become a we and you're with that person and you make decisions together, finances for your children, whatever it is, how do you also keep that identity of who you are and that independence where you kind of forget what your beliefs are and who you are and the decisions you want to make. Maybe one person ends up being more of the decision maker and it becomes we, but you don't realize that maybe you don't have much of a say in it. Yes, absolutely. So we have this continuum of connection,
1: right? Where on the extreme end, there is codependency and on the other extreme end, there's just complete autonomy. And what I mean by that is that what you just alluded to is this idea of codependency, right? Which is where you kind of get absorbed into each other and you forget who you are. And because of that, you're really no longer influencing the relationship. It feels like a we. You guys say the words that it's a we, but it's not really a we because you both don't have equal influence and input and your own needs and desires and goals aren't being considered. So that's one end. The other end is that people become too autonomous, which is just me. So when in those relationships, people are making completely opposite decisions from each other. They're not consulting with each other. There is no united front. There's not a culture of relationship. And where you want to live is in the middle. And when you think about in the middle, you're thinking about a we that's in the center with these limbs that come off of it. And so there's a we and then there's one limb that is me and the other limb that is you. And some parts of me go into that center and some parts of you go into that center. But there are also still parts of us that stay completely ours. And that's normal. And I think a lot of times couples can sometimes absorb into each other too much, especially in the beginning where they believe the other person is supposed to like everything they like and the other person's supposed to agree with every decision they make. And that's just really not realistic. It's much more important that you sit down and you consider that there will be certain things that stay yours, that you will have your own opinions, that you will have your own differences, your hobbies, your interests, that that other person might never share with you and that they will also have those things. But you also want to try to find ways that you create your own culture within your relationship that kind of puts all of those things together, fuses those things together so that there is a we in the middle of all of that.
0: But on the other side of it, say two people, I know me and my boyfriend, for example, were are both very independent in our thoughts and we feel strongly about what we value and what we think about. And you know, obviously there's some balance and compromise, but when two people are really stubborn, how do you deal with that when two people are really stubborn?
1: Yeah, which is totally common. And again, so my husband and I are that way too. <laughs> so the majority of our, our problems in relationships are called perpetual problems. Two thirds of the problems that you will have with a partner are likely unsolvable. And what that means is that you're not going to agree, you're not going to come together on it, and you're gonna be different. And that's totally fine. What's really important in those moments is that you find ways to still create understanding, to still have compassion for the other person, to allow the other person to have their difference, to have their opinion. The only time that differences really become a problem is when you get into a power struggle and you believe that you have to make this person change, that you have to make them believe what you believe or do what you want them to do, or they become a problem when you kind of refuse to extend curiosity and create understanding with them through listening. So you can have perpetual problems, you can have differences, you can be stubborn, But you do need to create a culture of respect where you're willing to understand where do these beliefs come from? Why do you think this stuff? I'm curious about you. I want to know about you. I think you're really interesting and smart and great. So if you think this thing, I trust that there's a reason for it. So you can have very different opinions and different desires and hobbies, but it's really important that you're showing interest in the other person and that you're respecting their difference.
0: I'm so glad you brought up the idea of curiosity because I think that's so important too. I think growing up, there's sometimes this naive mindset that you'll just find someone who matches you perfectly and you agree on certain things and then you complement each other in other ways. But I think being curious to different ideas and values and is so important. So overall, now going into the more more of the individual, how important do you believe it is to know yourself well and to be secure in who you are and maybe work through your childhood, childhood traumas and issues you may have in order to have a thriving relationship?
1: It's incredibly important. A lot of conflict between couples is not actually about the conflict, right? They're not actually arguing about how dirty the dishes are. They're not actually arguing about how to raise the child, what they're really arguing about often is some some subconscious harm that has happened to them in childhood or desire that they have. It's really important that you are working on issues that you come with um, the relationship to, because when you don't work on those things, they subconsciously take control. So you might be responding to your partner in ways that you don't even understand. A lot of times I work with people and they say, that wasn't even me. I don't even know why I yelled like that. Or I don't even know why I got so mad. And that's often because it's coming from some sort of childhood wound. And so the more that you become aware of yourself, the more that you become aware of your emotional experiences and the reactions you have to those emotional experiences, the more consciously engaged you're going to be with your partner and the less reactivity you're going to have in that relationship. Most reactivity in relationships comes from some sort of unhealed wound. People aren't very reactive when they feel like they know themselves very well um, or when they've healed some of their trauma because they feel safe. We're reactive when we don't feel safe. And so the more you can work on healing yourself – and grieving your losses, and working through your disappointments, the less reactive you're going to be in a relationship, because you're going to enter that relationship in a much more healed place. Mm -hmm.
0: And if you could give advice to someone who may be struggling to love themselves and heal from childhood wounds, or just even unlearn certain childhood beliefs, but they've never explored that, what would you say is something they could do to start?
1: Well, I love therapy. So I always suggest therapy. But if that's something that isn't possible for whatever reason, you know, it's not affordable or it doesn't feel like um, it's the right time, then journaling is a wonderful place to start. Starting to create some sort of coherent narrative of what the childhood was like. So you want to write that down and how they think that's impacting them now. The more awareness you have of The story that you tell yourself about yourself, the more you're going to notice how that story influences your relationships. And then you also get to choose, do I want to keep this story? Do I want to keep the story that nobody loves me or that nobody cares about me or that nobody listens to me? Or do I want to recognize that that was my story from childhood or that was my story from a previous relationship? And am I ready to create some new type of narrative about who I want to be in my current relationships and in my adult life.
0: Mm -hmm. I think defining your own narrative is so important because we often put those limiting beliefs on ourselves when we see that maybe this is how it should be. This is how my parents were, or this is how every woman or man in my family was. So this is who I am. So I appreciate that you brought that up. Yeah. You pointed out those different
1: relationships that influence us when I talk about building a coherent narrative of, of your story, you really want to include all of that. You want to sit down and write, this is this is where I developed this belief that I should behave this way as, as a woman, or this is where I developed the belief that a marriage looks like this, or this is where I learned to yell when I didn't get my needs met. And so the more that you can really explore who you learned those things from, or who you saw do those things, how people made you feel and impacted you, the more awareness you're going to have of how much that stuff is subconsciously influencing you. And once you have that, um, understanding and awareness, the beautiful part of it is you get to choose. You get to decide, is that really what you want your life as a woman to be? Is that really what you want to do when you're mad? Do you still want to yell or do you want to do it differently? Do you want to spend time with people who make you feel lonely or do you have a choice to walk away from that? And so the more coherent your understanding is of, of the story you've developed, the more awareness you have and then you get
0: to choose. Exactly. I think self awareness is everything. And honestly, it was so comforting in that you brought up the fact that some people maybe react a certain way and you're like, That's not even me because I felt that way before where I felt like it wasn't, you know, like I wouldn't react this way or this is not how I want to be. So I think self-awareness is key and really reflecting on that. And so this whole show is about being self-aware and living your most authentic life. And one thing I love is that I always ask every guest what that means to them, and everyone has such a different answer. So for you, what does living your most authentic life mean?
1: It means looking at the story you've told yourself and unraveling how much of that is really true and then making a decision to develop the you that you want to be and knowing that that's a reality, that you can truly decide today or tomorrow to be who you want to be and to do it in a way that feels authentic to you. And being you means that you relate with other people in a way that honors you and that you take care of yourself in a way that honors you as well.
0: I love that. Thank you. How important do you believe it is to seek couples therapy? I think a lot of people, they feel that guilt or they feel weird if they're not married yet or they they haven't been together long enough. Do you think that's something that's important for everyone or do you think it's only necessary if you've been together for a certain amount of time, what is your take on that?
1: Couples therapy is beneficial across the relationship spectrum. People come to couples therapy for premarital counseling. I see people in couples therapy who don't really have a lot of conflict going on, but they feel like they need a little tune up or they want to improve intimacy or they just want to ensure that they are going in the right direction. And I also see people who are in the middle of really challenging conflict, and I see people who are getting ready to divorce and that have already made that decision, but they want to do it effectively. They want to do it consciously. So going to couples therapy can be effective. It can have impact at any point in the relationship lifespan. And I suggest it to anyone that's in a relationship or even to people who are single and want to be in a relationship because it will help you identify ways that you can connect with other people with transparency and compassion and authenticity rather than with tension and power struggles um, and aggression and boundary violations. So it's incredibly helpful and and really it can be truly life-changing.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you brought up people who are single, too, because I think the relationship you have with yourself is the most important relationship you'll ever have. If you don't know yourself well enough and if you don't love yourself in a healthy, great way, then how can you do that for a partner? So how important do you believe that is to love yourself first and to focus on the relationship with yourself?
1: I think that it is so incredibly important to love yourself and that the more you love yourself the less likely you are going to take bs in relationships because you'll know what you deserve you'll be aware of what doesn't feel right and you'll be treating yourself well so you expect other people to treat you well also i do want to add to that though that i think a lot of people think well I'm not going to be able to be in a relationship because I struggle with loving myself. And that's not true. We are all evolving people. And so even if you're at a part, a point in your journey where you don't really feel like you're loving yourself too much right now, it does not mean that you won't find somebody. It does not mean that you're not going to somehow create a really loving and healthy relationship that is possible for you too. But as you're looking for that relationship, you also need to be, um, working on that relationship with yourself.
0: Exactly. I'm so glad you brought that up because everyone's evolving. No one will be perfectly confident and perfectly secure. We're all, we're all working through stuff every day. So I'm glad you brought that up. And so I appreciate you being on the show so much. And I wanted to ask you what's coming up next for you and where can listeners follow you and maybe work with you?
1: You can follow me at Liz listens on Instagram you can find me on Facebook at Elizabeth Earnshaw LMFT, or you can find me on my website, which is a better life therapy.com. I offer couples counseling in Pennsylvania, online or in person. And I also offer free and paid for courses. You can visit my Instagram and just click the link in the bio to learn more about those. So if anyone is interested in learning more about creating authentic relationships, they can always visit that link as well.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And now that you said that, I actually want to ask you, what do you think it means to have an authentic relationship?
1: That's a great question. An authentic relationship means that you are being transparent with what you want and you need in the relationship. You don't feel like you have to manipulate the other person to get your needs met and that you feel like you can offer that transparency because the other person makes you feel safe.
0: Well, thank you so much. I absolutely love your posts too and I think it doesn't only touch on couples and relationships I think anyone can follow you because every post has to do with some kind of self-reflection so I really enjoy your Instagram and your posts and all your content so thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing such so much information that will really help so many people
1: thank you so much for having me it was so fun to talk to you of course thank you
0: So isn't Elizabeth Earnshaw amazing? She had so much to share. I really, really, really loved our interview and even editing it, I learned so much. (laughs) I took so much away and I was able to reflect on my relationship with my boyfriend and myself and other people in my life. So there's certain things you don't realize. Like, I think sometimes when you're in a relationship, you think what I know is right, whether that's something you learn through your parents or people you've seen in your own life. Sometimes it's hard to tell what is healthy, what is unhealthy, what is normal. And so I think it's so important to reflect on your relationship and not just think, okay, well, I'm right, he's wrong, she's wrong, whatever it is. I wanna talk about the communication pitfalls. So Elizabeth said that the first communication pitfall is being critical of your partner. And I'm not gonna lie, I've definitely experienced that just because. I think going into my first relationship, I thought it had to be a certain way or my partner had to be a specific way or everything had to be perfect. Compare ourselves to what we see online. We think, well, this person's doing this. Why aren't you doing this? Or why would you do this? Does this mean you don't care if you're not reacting this way? Does that mean you don't love me or care? And then we get critical and we think we have to maybe change someone to be how we want, which is not what we want at all and i think over time i've learned that and i realized that i had some unrealistic expectations and there's having like high expectations and knowing your worth then there's having unrealistic expectations of what we see online what we see people present and we compare ourselves so that's something i'd like to say i've worked on and i've just accepted my partner so much more now and appreciated the good parts of him and not do you need to be this way is this what a good relationship is which is ridiculous every relationship is so different the next communication pitfall is defensiveness and that is also paired with criticism and i think we've all experienced that you know we kind of let our ego get in the way or we think maybe our partner is attacking us by just letting us know how they feel we take it personally so that totally made sense paired with criticism the next one is stonewalling which is when one person feels flooded and uncomfortable in the conversation. So they end up shutting off to rational conversations and maybe they look like they don't care. And, you know, I can definitely relate to that because my partner, he's, he's more rational and I can really get in my head. So it makes sense that one partner could feel that way. And it kind of is like a nice reminder that like it's not just me or it's not, I'm not the only one experiencing this. This is very normal. These dynamics are very normal. Another one is contempt When you are criticizing the other person in a supercharging way, one-up position, and kind of saying it from a place of superiority. And she said that that's the most damaging one, that's the most damaging pitfall, and that's the one that leads and correlates most to divorce. I've experienced that with other people in my life, not just my boyfriend, but just like other people in my life who they criticize you in a superior way, like you're not good enough kind of thing. And that's just, you know, very harmful, I imagine, for any relationship, not just romantic. We went on to talk about some power struggles in a relationship we talked about extreme codependency and anatomy and elizabeth mentioned of course it's okay to have differences everyone says that it's okay to have differences in relationships you know there's a stereotype that opposites attract and then there's also well it's better to be similar you know but obviously like we can go deeper it's about you know like similar values but different interests it really just depends and i'm not a relationship expert at all i'm taking it day by day but I really like that Elizabeth said that the only time difference becomes a problem is when you stop being curious in the relationship and when you start believing that you have to make this person change or you refuse to create a culture of respect and curiosity. Everyone's going to be different. I'm so different than my partner and obviously we're the same in many ways but we're very, very different. And I think one thing that's worked is that we're both really interested in our differences. And I think, like she said, when you stop being curious and you try to change the other person, that's when the differences become a problem. And I've definitely done that before. I'm going to be very honest. Like I said with being critical of your partner, I thought my partner maybe had to be a certain way sometimes or react a certain way. I stopped appreciating the good parts of him. I stopped appreciating what makes him special and what made me fall in love with him and I just focused on like what I need to change to make it like perfect and that was so unrealistic and like right after the honeymoon phase I felt like it had to be a certain way and I think you grow up and you realize like no relationship is perfect we grow up with these fairy tales and these rom-coms and we think it has to be an exact way and that everything has to match (laughs) but it's not so simple I think the more you're aware of that, the more comfortable you are with yourself. And even Elizabeth said that the more we reflect on our own issues and like even just our past, you know, people say like daddy issues, mommy issues, but like, that's what it is. Maybe we crave that love we didn't get or that we did have. And it's important for us to feel safe. So it's so important that we reflect on our own losses and traumas and our own life, because I really don't think we can be the best partner until we know ourselves well. Yes, of course, when we're in relationships, people are insecure, no one's perfect. It's not like you have to be fully perfect and happy and no insecurities before you're in a relationship because that doesn't exist. We all are working on ourselves constantly, but to have the best relationship, we have to know ourselves, we have to know our worth. And like Elizabeth said, once you know yourself and your worth, Then you know what you can take in a relationship. You'll realize, maybe I don't deserve to be treated this way. And then you can communicate your needs to your partner. If you don't know yourself well, how can you communicate those needs? How can you build a relationship if you expect someone to just read your mind if you don't even know what you want? Because there will be power struggles. There will be moments where we maybe have a similar relationship to our parents or maybe to someone else we saw growing up. At the end of the day, if we're open to reflecting and being self-aware, then we decide we can decide what we want, what kind of relationship we want. It's up to us. There were so many takeaways from this episode. I personally reflected so much after recording this and I think it's something I will also listen back on if I'm ever kind of struggling in my own relationship or need some advice. I think Elizabeth really expressed herself beautifully and really had a lot to share. So I'm super thankful for her for all this information, being very open to these questions and sharing her insight. I am very thankful to her for that. So Elizabeth actually posts a lot on her Instagram and all her posts are very insightful and have great takeaways. So if you would like to follow her on Instagram, you can at LizListens and I will make sure to include the link to her Instagram and more in the description of this episode. So if you would like to follow me as well, you can at Tara.Mont or the Instagram for this podcast at Trust and Thrive. And I would love to know what you took away from this episode. At the end of the day, we're all in a relationship even if it's not a romantic relationship with another individual. We're all in a relationship with ourselves and that's the most important relationship of them all. So once we reflect on that and can really know who we are and be self-aware, then we can really thrive in our other relationships. So no one is perfect. We all have communication pitfalls. We all communicate differently. We all have our differences. But I think the biggest takeaway for me is just being curious and compassionate. Realizing that maybe the person you're talking to grew up with a very different narrative than you maybe this is what they learned. maybe they don't know any better maybe how you feel about the situation is very odd to them so you have to be understanding of that and hopefully your partner can do the same your friend can do the same whoever it is just be open to that i think self-awareness being open to different communication styles and you know not letting your ego get in the way at the end of the day if you really love someone and care for them Are you really going to go back and forth on who is right? Who is wrong? No, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. Do you want to be a team with your partner or do you want to just be in a power struggle? So that's up to you. Something to reflect on as I am doing myself. So with that said, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please let me know what you took away from it. You can always message me on Instagram or leave a review and rating on Apple iTunes. It takes only a minute and it means so much. So if you do so, thank you so, so much. And with that said, we will be back next week with a new episode. So make sure to subscribe if you never want to miss new episodes coming out every week. So as we end summer, I hope you have a wonderful last few days of August and you really reflect and think about who you want to be in the upcoming fall. You're a different person now than you were today. We're always evolving. So who do you want to be in the fall? What kind of relationship do you want to have? So just know that you have that power to change. You have that power to decide that, you know, I don't have to be this person. Maybe I've always been very stubborn, but I don't have to be. So realize that that's up to you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your August and I will catch you all next Thrive Thursday.